Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Hey, just a heads up, Mike and I had a couple audio issues recording this episode. We record over a video call, and normally it's not a problem. But this particular morning, we ran into a couple issues. Uh, so it's a little frustrating for us and for you, I'm sure. But hopefully you can still enjoy the episode. Hit it. Morning, Mike. <laughs> morning, Mike. Uh, morning, Pat. <laughs> so uh, we were just talking before this. Um, you just saw recently this... Uh, this, I guess it's just a documentary on Netflix called Social Dilemma. And, and I have watched that as well. And I thought it just connected so well. As soon as I saw it, I was like, wow, this is, Mike and I have talked about so much of this. Um, but it's, it's really speaking to the overall trend of uh, social media, the growth of social media, but then also a lot of the, the damage it's done. And the documentary, I highly recommend it, but it, it speaks to a lot of people out, of, uh, you know, out in Silicon Valley who have created a lot of this technology, people at Google, at Facebook, at Twitter, who are now uh, very much leaving that industry, but also kind of sounding the alarm, like, hey, there's, uh, there's a lot of, uh, of danger coming out of this stuff. Um, I'm, I'm curious, when you saw it, like what, what immediately jumped out to you? What, what do you? what did you resonate with right away? What do you think was worth calling out or highlighting that was uh, was pretty substantial? Yeah, good question. I, um, you know, I was a little tired a couple nights ago, and I put it on. Within ten minutes, I was riveted. Uh, I thought that um, it it speaks to so many points, but uh, clearly, what it, it does a good job of doing, both statistically and also these. Uh, ex-engineers and leaders in Silicon Valley, that was fascinating, Pat. Wasn't it fascinating to go, used to work at Google, used to work at Facebook, used to work at... Yeah, going, oh my gosh. Yeah, it was, uh, it was you know, the, the insiders. So, uh, you, you know, for example, because... Here's the way, here's the way we're going to go at it, because I understand you start talking about technology and the people that are in the tech world are going to roll their eyes and go, oh, here comes some more Luddites. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Luddites were opposed to any technology. And we're not saying that. If you come away with nothing else from this podcast, a couple of things. One, long ago, technology used to be a part, used to be a branch of moral philosophy. It, it took into account that faster is not necessarily better. Uh, efficiency is not necessarily, doesn't lead to more effectiveness. Uh, it's almost what you say today, profitability as an end in itself is not sufficient. So, uh, younger people particularly are ragging against capitalism because it does look like it's, it's profitability at all costs. And whereas as Christians, we understand that it was it was always held in tension with responsibilities to people, planet, while profitability is good. It, it's a both and. 
And uh, what happens in a technological world is we don't have the both and anymore. What we have instead is, uh, you know, Jack Dorsey giving the riveting talk a couple of years ago saying, I never imagined Twitter would undo these things, would contribute to this kind of divisiveness. Well, he, if, if he had gone through uh, an education in technology that was tied to a telos or a purpose, he would have known that wiser people than us, long before us, wrote about that every technology promises, tells you what it promises to do, but it never tells you what it will undo. If you want a quick example, it goes all the way back to, and, and this is in a good book. So we're going to highlight a number of books you can read that are, I think are quite accessible. One is uh, the late Neil Postman's book, Technopoly. Technopoly. It's technology and monopoly put together, coined that term. And it's when technopoly, it was when technology rules all thinking. It monopolizes thinking. So rather than technology being held in tension with telos, so just because it can be done, should it be done? Uh, you know, the big think questions. Instead, it's that, well, it can be done, so it should be done. And so, uh, you know, a quick example would be, hey, uh, this uh, uh, 5G's coming to your neighborhood. Do you want it? Heck yeah. It's faster. Faster internet's better. Really? Are you sure? So you don't even think about those questions. And uh, so he, in his book, writes about how Benedictine monks introduced the mechanical clock to establish more uh, ordered times of uh, daily prayer because they understood the great ambition and discipleship is rightly ordering your loves. Is that what, the, is that what we use the uh, look at your iPhone right now? Is that what that's for? The fact that we turn time into something mechanical? Heavens no. So what is it undone? Well, it's undone amongst other things, orderly times for retreat, meditation, pondering, prayer, so on and so forth. What it's actually done, the mechanical clock, mechanical clock is sped up efficiency. How much can you do in the next five minutes? How much can you do in the next two minutes? How much can you? So this is what we mean by, uh, and I thought captured well, that the, you see all these uh, X, Facebook, Google, Twitter, you name it, saying, Here's what we thought we were doing. And they did to some degree, but we never thought it would undo all these things. Yeah. You know, one of the examples that I thought was very notable was talking about the like button. And, and they were even saying some of the early, one of the early Facebook engineers who worked on the like button, he was like, we just wanted to bring happiness to the world. We wanted right. people to be able to like things. And, Never did we think that it would it would bring so much pain uh, in in how people look for likes and how they they seek out uh, reward and acceptance based on these likes. And I, yes. when I heard that, I was like, man, that that is true. Um, but I kept I kept hearing a missing piece as they were discussing technology and the danger of technology, and even talking about. Uh, the interruptions. This is the first tool that will actually interrupt you and things like that. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is all this is all really good. Um, but they're not talking about us. And then finally, Tristan Harris, who I think we've talked about a couple of times, but he he kind of went that route and he was yes. basically saying, 
what this is doing is really it's it's like exposing some of our deepest flaws as human beings and that i was like yes thank you 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 finally mentioned our part in all this and that is we have these flaws so i was just i was just thinking you know thinking about it through the lens of human nature yeah uh, you know we could we could definitely go down the the hole here of technology but thinking about it from human nature Yes. And we've often said, well, behavioral DNA, it's all this can will. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, it's the gospel. I don't know, I'm curious, do you, do you, have, any, do you have any thoughts on how, how does that help us see why it is that this technology can undo so much? Yeah, I, I think we do. I, I agree with you. I thought that uh, Harris uh, was incredibly close to the truth when he said, uh, listen, our, our brains haven't, changed over millions of years um it's the last 20 years it's the technology it's the it's the ability to interrupt and create patterns or neural carve out neural pathways frankly in your brain that's what's changed and i'm going bing that's exactly mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. now as a believer set aside whether the earth is a billion or you know whatever the fact is human nature has not fundamentally changed because in the gospel the the ancient gospel, it starts in creation. And that means, creation means that there is a design, a structure to how God created the universe, including the human brain. Now that doesn't mean that that, that design can be bent in a certain direction. It can be bent. That's why neural pathways have what are called neuroplasticity. And so you can, you, you, the human brain, I think we talked about before, yeah, the guesstimates are somewhere in the ballpark of every second you process one, 14 million bits of information. They are bundled into 100 to 200 super bundles that travel along these super neural pathways at blazing speed. And uh, you, can be you can be cognizant or conscious patterns are not now so what you're saying well before the enlightenment where the the brain was everything it was understood that the things you put your hands to the things that you touch and taste and feel i'm quoting flannery o'connor affected you long before you believed anything at all and that's why the great great commission is entirely tied to if you read it carefully to the cultural mandate make cultures if you make cultures that are flourishing you can make flourishing disciples if you don't make flourishing cultures the table is tilted severely against you making disciples and that is noted by the way is it not in the social dilemma remember that one engineer just saying listen the difference in the last 20 years is the table and he tilts his hands in a certain direction he goes the tables are tilted tremendously against young people mm -hmm. like never before mm -hmm. and that's right it's not that you're taking in any more i mean there's a max of what your brain can take in tristan harris is right about that there's a max in how much you can process but also the number hasn't changed about 95 percent of it is non-conscious and when when the table is tilted so much that it's primarily 
the, the, the your enculturation, the thing that the thing that you most taste and touch and feel. Let's just stick with touch and feel is your iPhone. Oh, we're not beating up on you. Let's say also the uh, what are the other phones <laughs> that tells you I use iPhones, <laughs> but your smartphone. <clears throat> that's the fundamental shaper. That's never before had the influences of culture been so captured in such a small device that is held in your hand. Mm. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's scary. It's scary to think about. Okay, yes. I think there's a good thing about, when you think about, for example, when Paul said we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, there's a healthy thing of, of fear. And there ought to be a healthy fear here as a believer, not the fleeing fear, fear, blah, 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 blah. The, the fleeing fear of so many Christians. You know, well, let's get them in a Christian school. Let's get them away from. Uh, let's get them away from the big bad culture. Uh, uh, no, here's what's different: that big bad culture, or the what's a detrimental influence, is right there in their hand. I mean, so it does a good job at talking about like that mom, they, they have the, uh, they try to create this scenario of a, of a family and I think they do a pretty good job in it, but mm -hmm. it's the mom one night just announcing, uh, okay, we're going to no phones over dinner. <laughs> we won't get what it happens, but it does capture that when your neural pathways have been um, shallowed out, so to say. Uh, you, you display the same behaviors. I'm not being dramatic here, but you display the same behaviors of a of a drug addict, and that that is proven uh, by findings from neuroimaging. A couple of good books on that. Nicholas Carr has written a very accessible book called The Shallows. Mm -hmm. and uh, by that here's what it means and uh, another uh, Maggie Jackson's book Distracted is a good way as another easy read uh, so here's what Maggie points out highlight in case you don't read it is that uh, we understand as Christians is an interruption of attention all communication is an interruption of attention. Even the communication of someone walking down the stairs, you might be reading something on um, your iPad, but your mind is like, oh, someone's come downstairs. See, it was interrupted. Someone says, good morning. That interrupts your attention. So there, that's the nature of communication. It's the interruption of attention. The reason the spiritual disciplines historically start with silence and solitude is, can you guess? I'm assuming it's related to attention. Interruption of attention. It is now been shown, demonstrably shown, it is impossible to build deep neural pathways if you're interrupted too much. Yeah, that that 
that comes out of the shallows. Is that right? Yeah, the shallows, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, that would I, be one of the best books on that. Yeah, I, I just read uh, a handful of that. A buddy of mine read that when we were just just recently out of college, and he was sharing some of it with me. And I just brought that up to a friend in a conversation because we were talking about this documentary, and I was saying how that was a really great read, and it it's fascinating that it was. I mean. It's not a, the shallows is not necessarily a recent book. It wasn't out in the past year or two. That was out right. what, uh, at least five years ago. Yeah, you know when oh. all of this was coming out. I mean, it's just it, probably ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, it's just so far ahead. It was like cars just saw what was coming. But yeah, I think that yeah. the, the piece there that really stuck out to me was that we're training our brains to to not handle deep thought. That's and, right. <laughs> I'm thinking of Jack Canley, deep thoughts. <laughs> uh, and then you listen, you go, that's not deep. Uh, that, I think that's what Carl's getting up. That's right. That's not deep. It, it is. Uh, now, if you want to have some fun and you're not opposed to profane language, um, just read, uh, just watch uh, Idiocracy, a movie about probably 20 years ago now. Uh, it's one of the Wilson brothers, not um, the flaky Luke Wilson. It's the other. I think it's the other Wilson. And they're thrust into the future where uh, he's a complete idiot and he's elected president. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, let's set that aside. Let's return back to our, but Idiocracy is, is a, it's a fun film. Now you're saying again, okay, now connect that to when you said silence and solitude. Here's the connection. If you're going to actually build, do you have deep thoughts that require deep neural pathways? Deep neural pathways are just like any pathway. In fact, the Bible uses the metaphor pathways uh, when it talks about making cultures. Cultures are the worn paths. That's where you repeat over and over and over. Uh, you keep walking the same path and you, you create this deep path. Paths, plural. And it might be a path uh, where you uh, it's where you just default to think of what you love your neighbor before yourself. Uh, or as yourself, or it might be a path of, uh, it's actually more pleasurable to uh, give than receive, or it's actually, actually, I, I derive more pleasure from loving God and my loving my neighbor than loving me, or it might be, you get the point. These kinds of, of uh, behavior where you put a cap on how often you're interrupted, that's the point. You cap how often and repeatedly you're interrupted. Hmm. Because all communication is the interruption of attention. And scripture clearly makes the point. You got to pay attention to the right things. If they're going to become second nature to you, hence the First, several spiritual disciplines are actually disciplines of abstinence. And they start with silence, solitude, and one of the most fundamental things to abstain from, food. And you fast from even Facebook. I think of the classic every year round Lent 
I see all these Christians yeah. <laughs> go with fasting social media. I'm giving them social media. That's uh, funny. Yeah. But they have no idea. It's just like I was a kid. You know, we fasted from dessert. I had no idea why 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 we did that. And we loved Easter because you get up at twelve on one a.m. and and have a big chocolate bar. And uh, thank God there was a you know chocolate Easter bunny there and chomp those ears off and say Jesus is raised from the dead. Yeah, whatever. But all I know is I feel great again. Uh, <laughs> we had no idea why we were doing that, but. Now, so Carr's point is, if you if you are interrupted too much, I mean, there is such a thing as too much of a good thing, and if you're and so technology is not inherently bad, but when you have no cap, no moral boundaries on it, when you have no when when bigger is better, is faster is better, is so on and so forth, you you your neural pathways are shallowed out, and when they're shallowed out, I see this with. <clears throat> I'm not going to name names, but I have a whole I have a whole lot of friends and they're believers who they're in and around the tech world. And I find the ones who are most deepest in the tech world, you try to have a conversation about this and their eyes glaze over. They can't pay attention. Hmm. They literally I've watched several of them in services doing doing uh, texting. They sure. can't pay attention. It's not that they don't want to. It's not that you're even thinking about it, but you understand if you begin to go and you say something like, here's the point, technology requires a, a, a talos or a purpose. I, I might as well have been speaking Yiddish <laughs> because at that point they're going, I don't know what the, I don't know what the hell that means. And, uh, oh, boy, man, I got to text here. Hold on. I, I got to, I, I everything's got to be tended to immediately. Let me read you some of the, uh, the outcomes from this that I think are, this is Mark uh, Bauerlein from Emory University. Uh, he teaches there. And he, now this is 10 years ago, as imagine. At that point, only 16% of his students or the students at the school, this is Emory, a good school, uh, can read the text on a web page line by line, word for words, and pull together a coherent summary of what they just read. 16%. Wow. 84% go, I don't know. Uh, it says the uh, the other 84 can only pick out individual words and sentences and process them out of sequence. Just just a scattered shot. It was about this and this. Um, so you have one literary critic saying this. Most college students today no longer accept the possibility of assembling a complete picture of reality. How in heaven's name would we get to that age? Because what that, when you say, well, so what about that? Well, so what about that is that if you graduate from college then and someone says, <clears throat> well, they basically say, this is a world where the highest value is tolerance because I have my truth, you have your truth. Nobody can put this whole thing together. You got to just make your way along as best you can. Why can't we all get together? Why can't we all get along? It's, and you, and you then you get particularized, polarized, views on what's most important. And so I don't think it's an exaggeration when you have on the social dilemma, many of them saying we're heading towards civil war. Well, yeah, so I, I agree that the polarization piece was interesting. And one of the examples given was of like Wikipedia. And uh, the example was let's like right now you go to Wikipedia and you see the same definition. If I go there, I see the same definition that you would for something. Um, but if we were to apply the same 
model that social media gives us, it's, it's almost as if I were to go to Wikipedia and see a totally different definition of something than if you were to go there. And, yep. and I was just like, man, that, that's a really, that's a really powerful example because it, it may not be a hundred percent accurate, but it does give you a hint of this idea of seeing the world differently. And I was like, man, that I, I very much resonate with that. And you see a lot of how we, how we picture reality based on what we get from our, our feed. And that's, yeah, <clears throat> I think that that, that I'm glad you mentioned that. I think that, um, that was very helpful because what they are, uh, what they highlight is the business model. Yeah. And I think that, the, uh, I think a, a, a good, good number of us, perhaps the majority of us aren't aware of the business model, which is, and they laid out pretty simply. So it, so I'll give you an example. So in the work I've done, uh, what's the, what's the optimization SOE SEO was SEO search engine optimization. Yeah. Right. So in the past I've had people say, you know, if you spend this much on one side proposal, given to me for 35,000, we can do SEO and we'll get you on the first page. Um, I remember just thinking, what? <laughs> I said, it wasn't, now they believed in the merits of my work. So that's, you know, the intentions are good, but it's basically saying, uh, this is a business model. Th this entire thing is a business model. And it's not the product so much. This is, I'm quoting now from Social Dilemma, which I do think this is worth watching if you're a Christian. The model is not so much the product. It's, it's the, it's the, it's the medium. This is what Marsha McLuhan wrote years ago. And he says, the medium now is the message. So what happens? Here's what we mean by it. So the business model. So the business model is I'll spend the amount of money to get <clears throat> my view of uh, gender in that first page and I'm going to pay you to get my feed to the people who are most inclined to want to believe what I believe so I can reinforce that. It says nothing about the merits of my view of gender. It's entirely a business model. And I do think, and I, I know it's a tiny bit of an exaggeration, but Tristan Harris makes a good point. He says you have roughly 50 super bright engineers who are pretty much controlling the thoughts of billions of people, certainly shaping them. And that never has happened before in history. Yeah, that was powerful. That was powerful. That was powerful. We can't say that enough, Pat, especially for you, some of you shallow brain listen. <laughs> We've got to say that 16 times for it to sink in. Literally, that's what we're talking about is, I listen, I can see, and, and I'll just talk about the Christian community because if you think that you're immune from this, you're nuts. The, the only antidote the scripture offers is retraining your body with the spiritual, physical disciplines. And I can count on one hand the Christians I know who practice the spiritual disciplines. The others, 
regardless of what you think about the culture or what have you, the tables are tilted against you. And I see it when you have this kind of a conversation with them and it's like a stone skipping off their brain. They, this thing, this made no impression on them. And it's not because they're bad people. And they would say, you know, I love Jesus and that's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to love Jesus, reach the world, see people come to Christ. We're, we're paying for these ministries. We're paying for this and that. And you just go, you didn't hear what I just said, did you? No, they didn't. Because it's immaterial. It's moot. It makes no, this is a, this is what one person says, called said once, this is, you're very esoteric, Mike. And it was a way of saying, it doesn't make any difference. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. And so you can get to this point where we're at a place in our life where we do, we create, we're in this, we're in a tech world that is, that is really adding, by the way, to uh, wage disparity. There are huge winners in in COVID-19 and some big losers. And the big winners are primarily in tech because of their business model. But because of this business model, let's just say I'm a, you know, lean to the right white evangelical. I'm going to read nothing but lean to the right, white, evangelical stuff, and it's going to create these shallow neural pathways that, yeah, we're right, they're wrong. Or why in heaven's name can't those people see the, the rightness of this? Let's go send a high-powered evangelist over there, or apologist, and have him explain it to them. And then on the other side, if you're a left-leaning white evangelical, you go, why, how in heaven's name can those lean to the right be so stupid, really? How can they not know? How can they be so unaware? Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T, so it's not Haidt. Jonathan Haidt, a bummer of a last name there, Hal, um, is, in the, is, is featured briefly in The Social Dilemma, and he is worth listening to. His TED Talks, his books, The Righteous Mind, fascinating. Here's someone who's a liberal, atheist, paying high compliments to conservatives and Christians and what they bring to the table. But, but hate is, you don't meet many people like him. And it's, you're listening to someone who, regardless of what the outcomes are, is someone who is what the Bible used to value is actually thoughtful and we are not particularly good at thoughtfulness we're good at smattering and so thoughtfulness denotes the idea of deep thoughts of deep neural pathways we have shallow neural pathways or where i used to joke now we all know the price of tea in china we don't know what the heck it means but uh we we know the price of tea in china well, I'm, I'm glad you went there saying no one is immune to this. Um, there's, I think some listeners may hear this or, or even I just think back to a conversation I had recently on this. And again, the idea of well, social media can be a tool, you know, and you can still use it as a tool. And That's right. That is, that is true. Um, but 
the idea of being immune to this, I think, is is strong. And uh, and and maybe maybe I think I'm not necessarily immune to this, but it doesn't really impact me as much. I'm curious, Mike. Like, what are your thoughts on on how to how to make yourself more aware? Uh, I'll give you some examples here. When I started to realize maybe this stuff is not good, the first time was uh, the book The Shallows, and it talking about the need to uh, to switch back and forth to things, training our brain to think in a more shallow manner. Um, but then again, that same idea reinforced by deep work and talking about uh, how as soon as I get a break and I switch over to Facebook and check that real quick and then switch back to whatever I was waiting on. And when I read that example, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, I do that every single day. And mm-hmm. that that was sort of that one of those wake up moments of I had no idea like how, how deeply this was impacting me. And the second example is uh, I would wake up and find myself scrolling through my Facebook feed. And I would find myself sitting there going, oh, okay, another 30 seconds and then I'll get up. <laughs> and then 30 seconds would go by and I was not getting up. And that's when I realized, wow, this is a problem. You know, this is, this is something affecting me that yeah. I, I don't control. And, and it speaks to in Social Dilemma when they talk about what's being sold here isn't just user data. That's kind of the old mentality is, oh, they're just, you know, you use it for free and you're selling your data. What's being sold is behavior change. And to your point, those deeper pathways. So <clears throat> do you have any, obviously, I want to get into some solutions, retraining your, yeah. your body. You talked about that. But I, I don't know, any other any other sort of litmus tests or things to, to process, to reflect on that may help you realize how much more deeply you've been exposed to this? Sure. Again, no, there's nothing new under the sun. I would say be in practicing the discipline of solitude. If you need help on this, there's a couple good books out there. I prefer Dallas Willard's The Spirit of the Disciplines. In other words, Why the Disciplines. I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek. Start with Why. Most books on the disciplines are how and what, and that's why people read them and put them down. They don't do anything about them because they don't know, they still don't know why. He will tell you the why. And the why is now is being reinforced by neuroimaging. That uh, most of the way we behave is non-conscious and it's bodily. Uh, you don't operate so much by uh, the, you know, the brain, we're not brains on a stick. So you, to, to get to the brain, you gotta through, go through the body. And so, uh, it's fascinating to, uh, so I would say, begin practicing the spiritual disciplines. And the first is, now before the internet, I, you know, I was exposed to a lot of this through Dr. Willard and began to practice silence in the, in the order. And there's nothing new here. Silence. You will find if you try to practice silence, guess what happens to the average American? We'll just stick with America. They, they quit quickly. Yeah. Hear this. <laughs> their toes are tapping on their shoes they get fidgety you know why it's because again we know now that 
what you are experiencing when you are checking your email is you're getting a small dopamine dump of pleasure, the pleasure drug in your brain that's saying, this feels good to be on checking my emails. It just feels good. This is happening now unconsciously, Pat. This isn't Pat saying, I'm going to make myself feel good. <laughs> it is, it is just, it's a, it is a drug. It's a chemical that's going through your brain. And it, all it needs is these little shallow creeks to go through it. And it gives you this. So you're like, yeah, 30 minutes, I'll go back. And why did you say 30 minutes? Because this feels so good. <laughs> and then I'll go do the thing I really know I got to do. I used to call that broccoli Christianity. Yeah. Eat it because <laughs> it's good for you. It doesn't taste good, but eat it. Uh, yeah. So get off Facebook, get off your phone because it's a good thing to do. No, that's a, a, yeah, I like the broccoli Christianity. I mean, even just thinking about it, we, we are very, very conscious and aware of our food and our food choices and what's healthy eating and what's not healthy eating and don't eat processed foods. Like we, we, we got that down. The messaging is clear, uh, whether or not we practice it. it society in general is very adamant that we should have healthy diets but we really don't seem to care about what else we consume we don't apply the same consumption awareness that we do to food to other things we consume and that's that's, right. that's that sugar i mean we're eating sugar all the time when it comes oh to my social gosh. media that's a great book it's a big old book but it's called sugar and you read that and you go holy smokes because in the bible what was attached to teaching children was uh, putting a little honey on their tongue, but honey is a natural sweetener. It doesn't have the addictive process, prof, uh, uh, properties of uh, processed sugar. And so what would happen is you, you would, you would equate pleasure with uh, uh, the Bible, the reading of scripture. And so it become a pleasurable thing uh, versus uh, what happens with sugar. So all that to say is uh, long before we knew anything about these uh, chemicals in our brain, uh, the Hebrews understood. I mean, why, how would you grow up where it actually, you would feel good about, uh, it's actually more fun to give than receive. It actually feels better. So all that to say. Uh, so one thing to do is practice the disciplines. Now, if you want to back it all the way out, uh, we don't really generally make film recommendations, but I'd recommend uh, watch The Social Dilemma. Uh, then if you want to have a lot of fun, you'll see Tristan Harris say, here's the dilemma. I'm, I notice you know this line. He goes, how would you tell people about the matrix they're in when they don't know they're in the matrix? <laughs> so, yes, I would encourage you, watch the matrix. They're way ahead of the curve on this stuff. Um, you might also, another uh a group that was way ahead of this is watch the 1993 video done by YouTube called Numb. It's their song Numb, N-U-M-B. Just watch those. If they arrest something in you, at the end of the day, you're going to have to retrain your body. There's just no other way around it, Pat. You can't think your way out of this. You can't read enough books on it. Um, you have to start practicing the disciplines. And second, 
uh, one of my disciplines of engagement, so there are disciplines of abstinence of which I visualized when I first began to practice silence was I had to walk around the, a mental room and keep pulling the plug on things. I was trying to practice silence, but I still had the music going. I had this going, I had this going. I had to literally visually walk around the room and pull the plug on it, stop it. Stop it. And I found out it was harder than hell in the beginning. I had no idea how much juice I was getting by the buzz around me. Silence. When you get to a point where you finally one day are having a dopamine dump in silence, you're on your way. Then it was solitude. Solitude, again, is pulling the plug on all that to discover I'm not alone, never alone. This room is saturated with God. Also, when I return to engagement with people, I find out the world seems to rotate fine without me. I'm not necessary to the equation. Silence, solitude, fasting. I also began to read the Worldwide Lectionary now I have a one that uh, we could recommend to uh, viewers because um, it has little biographies. Uh, um, but the, the reason I do that is just to work against American individualism. We want you to read our daily readings or this or that. No, why don't you join two-thirds of the worldwide church and read, because over three years you read the entire Bible. And right there, you just demarcated yourself from 96% of American Christians. But uh, I would say, Pat, watch the, watch the Netflix, watch the film. But ultimately, and, and read, begin to read Willard's book, because ultimately, Pat, you have to create new neural pathways. And that takes, on average, at least three years for deep neural pathways, where it's actually more pleasurable for a husband to feast his eyes in love on his wife than to leer after other women and get that fleeting, what the Bible does call, by the way, a passing pleasure. Remember that book of Hebrews, Moses forsook the passing pleasures of sin. We wouldn't sin if we didn't get a dopamine dump. And it's only in, and I know I'm going to step on some fans of Facebook toes, but really curl your toes up and put them in a steel-toed shoe and listen to this. Because years ago, some friends you know, set up my Facebook page for me and... <clears throat> And I, I just had a visceral reaction. I could not, I, I just intuitively thought, why? And uh, now see, part of that is in silence and solitude and meditation, I would urge sometimes for believers to do a word study on the face. It's not something that is thrown out there willy-nilly. Putting your face out all over the place is not a healthy thing. But you wouldn't know that if you didn't practice silence and solitude and read the lectionary. 
And I just was like, wow, that's fascinating to call it Facebook. Even God said, I can't show you my face. I can show you my glory, but if you knew if you saw my face, you'd be uh, you'd just be <laughs> And this had the assumption that my face put out there for billions of people is an inherently good thing. Well, it's not bad to have Friends, as the Bible first described friends, as they walked face to face, God, Adam. But there's also no understanding. There's a cap on this. You can't have that many friends. So I've never done anything on my Facebook page. Every time I try to go, my <laughs> fingers have this this visceral sort of thing. They just they just go, I can't do it like <laughs> you know here's what's happening i think and i hadn't thought about this till this morning's podcast there's no dopamine being dumped into my system it, it looks like beats to me mm. and i don't like beats and you can tell me it's good for me and i'll yawn and listen yeah 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 so i know very well and what i've just said so many of my friends and listeners on Facebook are going to go, yeah, 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 Mike, he's a Luddite. He doesn't like technology. Which, again, is proof of, I hate to say it, shallow pathways. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I hate saying it. It is. It's just, I just, uh, I just, uh, I just can't do that. Now, and so my friends, so many tell me, well, you know, your ministry would be bigger if you're on Facebook and you, and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. God couldn't do what he wants to do without Facebook. <laughs> uh, that's a really good point. And so two stories to cap on, perhaps, for this. Well, I always enjoyed uh, reading Sports Illustrated growing up because it used to have some really, really good writers. I haven't read it in 20 years, but. Uh, Frank DeFord was a very good writer. And he tells this story, and it comes from 1969. He was catching a ride with Boston Celtics uh, star at the time, Bill Russell. I think Russell was in his final year. And DeFord was telling Russell how much he appreciated their friendship. And uh, Russell stopped his car, pulled it over. And he turned and said to Ford, they weren't friends. And DeFord's telling of it, he says, Russell goes on to describe this friendship as taking a lot of effort and reciprocity. And basically, um, you can only have a handful of friends. That's just all human nature allows for. And he didn't feel the DeFord had sufficient margins in his life to do that. And DeFord wrote this in his article, I marveled that he would have thought so deeply about what constituted friendship. I marvel at how shallowly the average Christian understands what constitutes friendship. Jesus waits till he's three years in with these 12 before he says, now I call you friends. What's going on there? Friends, they have a reciprocity, a given. You know, Kathy and I have joked, 95% of the people we invite over, say, for example, for dinner, pre-COVID, never reciprocate. Well, I get it. 
It's a consumer society. But it also tells friends. I was talking to a friend yesterday who said uh, he was, he had a, uh, his boss and he was recently let go, but the boss sent a subordinate. And uh, my friend said, you know, that's not the way friends treat friends. And I said to my friend, I said to him, I said, well, that assumes he was your friend. Maybe your mistake was assuming he was your friend. Mm -hmm. You have a relationship, but yeah. But of course you're hurt because you made a bad assumption. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, he did think deeply about friendship. This is what he wrote. Friends are not primarily absorbed in each other. It is when we are doing things together that friendships spring up. That is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. Now, if you're on Facebook and you're really good at the like button and you've got a zillion friends, you're pretty far afield from how older faith traditions in Christianity understood the face, like, and friends. But you'd actually have to get off Facebook and retrain your body to ever come to discover that. <laughs>